was a place I'd give the world to see Where the music softly playing And the rhythms gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico You got to be in so much to see in Mexico yeah, once more, it's time to uh, take a trip into uh, Latin America. We join our uh, good friend John Bonfilio in Campeche in Mexico. And uh, sadly, the uh, the good feeling engendered by uh, Long John Baldry there uh, doesn't last because uh, we have to start, John, obviously with that story, a dreadful, dreadful story that uh, that began the week here. Um, of the 46 people found dead in a, an abandoned truck on the outskirts of San Antonio in in Texas, um, clearly a result of uh, people trafficking and the desperation of people leaving Mexico to try and find themselves a better life in the USA. Yeah, and um, the numbers are now uh, in excess of 53, 53 confirmed, but likely. More dead. And look, uh, obviously, you know, we, we exist, all of us, in a fairly hardened media landscape. Um, but sometimes there's just, you know, stories that hit you from left field and, and make you do a complete double take. And this story about uh, the, the migrants that were trapped in the in the back of this uh, of this truck, unable to to get out and, and basically died through dehydration and, and heat exhaustion. Uh, is one of those stories. I mean, partly because of the numbers. I mean, it is, in, in a single sense, the de- deadliest migrant smuggling episode in, you know, in the modern history of the U.S.-Mexico border. But also just, you know, all of us, you know, anybody in the world, uh, certainly any of your listeners, has stepped into a car, a vehicle, which is too hot. Um, and then you multiply that you know, by a few hundred, by a few thousand, and imagine what it would be to be trapped in that sort of in that sort of context. And that's what these individuals died from and 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 are suffering from. And for sure, it's not an isolated incident. It's reached the news primarily because of the the scale of it. Um, mm. Also interesting that you know th- these individuals are very unlikely to have crossed the border in that vehicle. They are likely to have crossed in a, in a variety of other ways. And the modus operandi, especially in that area of Texas at the moment is for cloned vehicles, cloned trucks, to then pick up migrants, to then take them elsewhere in in the U.S. But it seems as though the driver of this vehicle was either unaware or is saying that he's unaware that the the air conditioning system packed up. Interestingly, he was also found later pretending to be one of the migrants. It's one of the ways, because initially there was no sign of the driver, but actually he hid, and it's only through CCTV footage and then the checking of his phone records that it became clear that he was... In fact, the driver, but we're looking at a, at a, at a context in terms of temperature and weather at the moment in which you, in, in that area you're getting temperatures of 38 degrees, uh, centigrade, 48, 40 degrees centigrade. So mm. people, uh, you know, are not going to last any length of time at all in those sorts of contexts. I mean, is it, you say that people would have um, gone into the US um, by other means and then uh, got into the truck, the, the people traffickers truck, rather than uh, the truck, rather than, I'm just thinking of it in a, in a UK context, uh, we get people uh, crossing the, the channel, obviously, we've had the similar tragic incidents to this one, um, but, you know, people crossing the channel in a truck, sort of, um, and often 
often uh, unbeknownst to the driver, you know, the, their stowaways. Uh, but this is this is different. It doesn't work like that. They they cross yeah. in other ways. Absolutely. Um, when when you've got stowaways, that tends to be more kind of happenstance. The odd migrant here or there takes a chance. It finds a way into something or other. When you've got this scale of individuals, people know, the traffickers know, that you can't just shove them in a, in a lorry and get them to cross the border because those lorries are going to be checked out and searched and, and so on. And especially for vehicles being cloned, that's which actually was the case in this situation, that the vehicle had cloned papers belonging to a, to a company in, in, in Texas. So um, what takes place in these situations is that the the people traffickers will move those individuals across the border ordinarily in a desert landscape uh, on foot and then have a pickup point on the other side and that's when they go into the lorry and then get get transported uh, across the country to wherever it is that they've they're going to go or they've paid to go um, etc and at that point there's no checkpoints i mean there are there is no unless you've done something wrong on a u.s road there are zero checkpoints for, you know, as standard in Mexico, every few miles, you're going to come across either a military or a police uh, checkpoint, which, which is a standard. That's not the case in the U.S. Right. I don't, would all these people have been Mexicans or will some because I know people are, are sort of traveling from Venezuela into Mexico and then into the U.S. Would these people all be Mexicans or might they be from from other countries? It's um, at the moment what we know is that. Uh, about of half of the confirmed individuals are Mexicans, and then a number of the others are from Central America. That's where we're at the moment. It's, of course, also led, as always with these things, to an international incident in the sense that uh, the Mexican government has responded uh, pretty quickly, immediately, in fact, saying that it's a result of poverty and despair and, and sending people up, officials up to repatriate the bodies and, and, and so on. And, of course, you know, in, in the U.S., I mean, actually, interestingly, the local representation uh, in particular, the San Antonio mayor has said that much the same, that actually, you know, come out with compassion and so on and said what a tragedy it is. But the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, immediately turned around and said that it was part of the, um, the problem with Biden's open borders and, and so on. And whichever way you look at it, numbers are up. I mean, since yeah. since the transition between you know, Trump and Biden and, and, and so on. So it, it, politically, left, right, center, you know, whatever, that border is a major uh, point of contention and as we know from this week if we didn't already mass human tragedy yeah absolutely um now uh machu picchu is uh is probably the top or amongst the top uh tourist spots in in latin america but threatened by uh, wildfires at the moment yeah if, if not latin america i mean probably one of the most famous archaeological yeah, sites world, on earth yeah. probably yeah, actually, those, the fires have been put under control today, so that's the breaking news. But yeah, Machu Picchu. I mean, everybody is aware of the, the Incan ruins at the top of the mountain, 15th century citadel that was disco- discovered in inverted commas because you know it tends to be a white man that discovers these uh, these spaces, and then the local indigenous community turn around and say, "Hold on a minute, we always knew that they were here." So yeah, very much an in inverted commas, you know, British Museum kind of inverted commas yes. um, discovery. But, uh, but, yeah, it's the time of year in that area of Peru where farmers clear land um, and they do it by by setting fire to scrub uh, because after the rains, they need to clear the land for crops and so on. And it seems though like some fires um, got out of control. And because of the inaccessibility, I mean, we, again, we've all got the mental picture of the of the terraces and the, and the, and the mountaintops around Machu Picchu. Because of that, it meant that the fire uh, fire mitigation was really difficult to 
to, to bring to bear. So it got out of control and was just a few miles away from Machu Picchu, but fortunately was, was brought under control. Interestingly, um, there is a, a consistent threat to Machu Picchu, uh, Machu Picchu year round, and it actually isn't, isn't fire. It is absolutely the thing that drives it, which is tourism. Numbers in, I mean, a, a few years, not that long ago to get to Machu Picchu, you would have had to have trekked up the Inca Trail to get all the way up there. And then more recently, there's now a train that takes people uh, pretty close to it, and then you just walk the last bit. Now there's cable cars, luxury hotels, and so on. And the big controversy of our times with Machu Picchu is, is the proposed airport that is going to be built in the mountains there. And it is very much over capacity in the area and is going the way of you know, a, a lot of famous international landmarks in terms of it being you know br- brought to its knees in terms of over over capacity and it's actually now one of the un most at risk uh, international sites i didn't actually know that there was that that uh, those lists but they exist and machu picchu is on it yeah it's like mount everest isn't it where you have to queue up to uh, you know when you get to the uh, peak of mount yeah. everest there's a there's a big queue there waiting because there's just too many people doing it um like argos but different. Like Argos, but different. Uh, Argos, all the, the goods are in Does the Argos still exist? Yeah, Argos does still exist. I think it's more yeah. of an online thing. I think a lot of the uh, the Argos shops where you'd go in and to you know, leaf through a catalogue and all the stuff would be in the back of the shop. Uh, that's gone. <laughs> that's gone to some extent. Oh, now. I missed that. Uh, yeah, afraid. I mean, there are there, there will be some uh, Argos stores, and I'm sure we'll get lots of uh, texts and tweets from people who uh, who'll tell us all about. <laughs> <laughs> all about who knew <laughs> that this conversation was going to turn on that but, Everest uh, and Argos. indeed but let's finish with um with Nelson Piquet as at Silverstone uh, this weekend the British Grand Prix and um a bit of controversy about Nelson Piquet and whether Again, we're, you know, we're sort of misinterpreting language that means something slightly different in Brazilian Portuguese than it would do in um, European Portuguese, if you like. Uh, he claims that what he said um, using the, the N word, but, you know, in Portuguese about Lewis Hamilton just means a guy or a chap sort of thing. It's not a racist uh, term, and he didn't mean to cause any offence. Yeah, and there's there's some precedent here. Both, I mean, the, the, the famous ones in, in the UK are the Suarez-Evra uh, mm. incident that took place where where Suarez actually said to, you know, to Evra, you know, in a fairly aggressive sense, he, he called him you know, black in Spanish, but black in Spanish and Portuguese actually... Uh, looks very much like and translates much more directly to, to, to the N-word. And actually, the other one, which is really interesting, is the Edison Cavani incident, where on social media, only a few years ago, he said uh, about a friend, he, he referred to him as as Negrito, like my, my, my little you know, black friend or whatever. And, it, and the thing is, both things can be true at once. So it is a term, like two, two very close friends of mine, a couple. Uh, she is Afro-Colombian, uh, and he is white Colombian, and, she, and he consistently refers to her in that sense at all. And, you know, there's nothing disparaging there uh, in, in any way, shape or form. It is a term of, of closeness, of endearment and so on, which is not to say that somebody like Nelson Piquet, who exists in an international uh, uh, context and has done for decades now, should not know, does not know 
the potential complexities of using those terms, even if he doesn't mean them uh, in that way. And, it, and, and it's interestingly, actually, um, the, the FA, after the Evra Suarez incident, because uh, Suarez said, actually, you know, culturally, this is a misunderstanding. The, um, the FA turned around and said, e- even if as soon as you arrive and play within the, in- the English Football League, the Premier League, you have to be aware of those cultural differences. So, so very much. I mean, he has pleaded, you know, say so he has said it was ill thought out, that it was mis- mistranslated and so on. And I think those things are potentially I, mean, I don't think he's lying about that. I don't think he's he's trying to justify it after the event. But at the same token, in the same sense, he should have absolutely thought way more carefully about the language that he was using um, before he before he used that word, because it's going to be a no great surprise to him that that something like that could blow out of proportion with with the use of that word. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks uh, ever so much, uh, John. Do appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again next week, if that's OK. Take care. Good man. Uh, Jonathan Bob Filio joining us from uh, Campeche in uh, in Mexico there.